0: I can picture you sitting there at your desk, glancing around those stark office walls, the ping of your email inbox echoing in your ears, and you're thinking, there has got to be more for me than this. If quitting your nine to five and diving headfirst into your big entrepreneurial dreams is on your heart, you know the feeling of wanting to break free as soon as possible. Today, I'm so excited to have a conversation with my guest about quitting and what comes next. How do you know you're ready to quit? What will your friends and family think? Where will the money to grow your business even come from? And what happens on day one of unemployment when you officially change your title to entrepreneur? What do those first days and weeks and months look like after you said goodbye to security and wave hello to all of the unknowns? I'll bet you can see yourself in Jane Lou's story. Jane was an accountant who hated her job and she got let go. She didn't even tell her family for two years. Meanwhile, she was bootstrapping her now massive fashion empire, Shopo. Jane went from being major in debt to a Forbes 30 under 30 and on track for $100 million in sales by 2020. Those numbers sound absolutely unreal, but it all started with her decision to quit. Here she is, Jane Liu. If you're ready to dig in, do the work, and tackle your biggest goals, you're in the right place. Here's your host, educator, photographer, and mac and cheese lover, Jenna Kutcher. Thanks to Skillshare for supporting Gold Digger. Skillshare is offering my listeners a limited time offer of two months of Skillshare for free. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash 2. Again, head to Skillshare.com slash 2 to get two months of unlimited access to over 25,000 classes for free. Thank you to ShipStation for supporting Gold Digger. You can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use the promo code Gold Digger. No risk. Start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. ShipStation.com promo code Gold Digger. Hey, Jane. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to connect with you today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited too. Awesome. Okay, so we kick off every show with our guests just sharing a little bit about their story. So I'm curious for you, where did it all start? How did you end up here? What are you doing today as the founder of a company on track for $100 million in sales? Fill us in. Well, I mean, I definitely didn't have
1: the most ideals, but so... I actually never even thought I would start a business. I never, like growing up, I just wanted like a really safe job. My parents and I immigrated from China when I was eight. And so, you know, as an immigrant, all they want for me is job security and financial security. And that just meant working for a big company, which I actually really wanted to do when I was younger. I studied commerce and I ended up working as an accountant. I was so keen, I got a job straight out of high school. And I thought I was like, I thought I was because sh- I thought <laughs> I thought I was like set up for life. I was like fast track, great career in accounting. And I did that for like almost pretty much three years, realized that it just wasn't for me. I realized I came back. I went traveling. I lived in Sweden for a bit. And then when I came back, I saw my life differently. I didn't see it as safe anymore. I saw it as boring because I knew kind of exactly what it's going to be like. And I looked at some of the partners at work and I realized like, that's not where I want to be. Also, I kind of by that point realized that I was so like terrible at accounting and <laughs> I probably would never get promoted. So I was like, okay, I need to I need to get out. And so at that time, one of my friends, she came to me and asked me if I wanted to start a business as a side hustle. And I was like, pretty excited. I was like, fine, whatever, I'll do it. I didn't actually even like think about what was the business model, which let me tell you now, it's very important. That's probably my first big business lesson that I learned that like, no matter how much passion or hard work you put in, like if the business model isn't right, it's never going to work, which is not the best like motivating thing to say, but it's a hard lesson to have to learn yourself. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, so that's basically what happened. We decided to start this business around six months into it, it failed. And oh. just before it failed, I actually quit my job. To work on it full-time and then so all of a sudden i mean i went from having this great job having financial security having you know i always did well at school so my parents have always been proud of me to all of a sudden i was unemployed i lost all the money i had saved from working in that business i had a failed business under my track record And it was all in the middle of the global financial crisis. So no way I could get another job, even if I wanted to. And so like, it was like literally rock bottom and I'm an only child. And, you know, as I said, my parents immigrated for me. So they kind of like, had put a lot of pressure on me, you know, and as an only child, all their eggs are in the Jane basket. So (laughs) I just like, didn't actually know how to tell them that I quit my job. And then when my business failed, I was like, hell no, I can't do that. So uh, I was living at home at the time. So I actually just pretended to go to work for the first six oh months. Oh my
0: gosh. Yeah. It feels
1: uh, surreal to like even say it. I can't even believe doing that, <laughs> but like, uh, seriously, like I'm not, and the thing is I'm like, so not a morning person, but imagine getting like, so I'll tell you there's nothing worse than getting up early than getting up early and being unemployed. So getting up early for no reason, I would put on my suit every day and, like, a proper, like, corporate suit. And then, actually, my mom used to work in the city, so I would have to get the bus into the city with her. Like, I couldn't just, like, go to a park. Oh, (laughs) my gosh. I know. I used to carry around an empty laptop bag and just – that was, like, the start, the genesis of (laughs) Show
0: So what did you do all day when you'd go into the city? So I started just – kind of like,
1: you know, I just start off wandering around trying to figure it out, you know, and I used to you know, go to a cafe with my laptop and try and brainstorm. But then I realized, you know, that gets pretty expensive to sit in a cafe all day and I wasn't doing anything. And so I got a job as a receptionist at a laser hair removal clinic, which is fine, but not, you know, a natural progression from having a degree in accounting and finance. So, but then, you know, I needed the money. So I always tell people there's no shame in like going to get money while you're trying to figure this out, because that's kind of like, I know you don't really, I would say most people actually don't start a business for the money. They do it for other reasons, but you need to remember you actually need the money. (laughs) It's like, you know, it's like, you don't, no one loves blood, but you need blood to stay alive.
0: You just kind of need that. You need money to stay in business. So what did SHOPO, like, how did this come to be? What were your next steps? So you're working as a receptionist. Your parents think you're still an accountant. You're going into the city every day. (sighs) Then what happened? So I only at that point. So the thing is, this like
1: entrepreneurial wave hit Australia a lot later. So even though this is 2010, I still only at this point had one friend that had their own business. Like I didn't know anyone else with their own business. I didn't even know about startup communities. And like there weren't podcasts for business back then, And all the books I used to read back then were like, you know, Steve Jobs, um, Richard Branson. It wasn't like, there wasn't anything that attainable. So I didn't know where to seek advice. So I went to this one friend that I I knew that had his own business. And I think I was secretly trying to hope that he would give me a job because, you know, no one else would give me a job at this point. And so I thought he, maybe he could give me a job and I could just learn a lot from him about how to start a business. And so when I came to him, he actually, he suggested that I meet his friend who already, it's a girl who had her own business in fashion, but not in retail and also wanted to get into a retail business. So he suggested that we could start a business together. But then at this point, so I forgot to say that my first business, the one that failed, we ran pop-up stores and stocked emerging labels. It was still retail. And so, when he suggested that I start a retail business with this new girl, I said, well, heck no, that is the last thing that I want (laughs) to do. I literally just failed in this fashion retail business. I want to stay as far away from it as possible because it's not my thing, which now I realized how stupid that sounds because I literally just, you know, where all my experience and learnings are. And the whole point is to take your learnings and build something bigger with it. So anyway, at the time I was like, no, 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 kind of like, give me a job. But he kept that I meet this girl because he had this impression that I was kind a retail expert. And how he had that impression was because the first business, we hemorrhaged all this money. We decided to use PR for marketing. I think mainly because my ex-business partner had a bit of a chip on her shoulder from being made redundant from her corporate job in the global financial crisis. So we got this PR, which didn't actually make us any sales because it's Really hard to justify PR at that level of like hiring an agent when you're doing a startup. But we actually did get quite a bit of PR. And it while it didn't bring us sales, I used to spam all of my friends with it on Facebook. And so he was one of them. And so he would see that I was getting all these, you know, mentions in you know renowned publications, and then he would afford it to his friend as well. So, you know even though it didn't have the purpose that it was meant to have, it actually gave him that impression that I was a retail expert, which he passed on to his friend, which he suggested that I would just go meet his friend. And I kind of reluctantly went, but I had to go because I had no other options. And when I met this girl, we just instantly hit it off. We got along so well. And then I think maybe within a handful of times of meeting, we one night got drunk, had too many glasses of red wine, and we came up with a name and concept behind Show Pony, which is what we were called back then. So it would just kind of all happened. And I can't believe it because normally things don't happen that easily. And I mean, not easily because I had to go through a failed business for it to happen, but you know what I mean?
0: <laughs> right. So let's say someone came up to you today and they were like, I have this job. It's a nine to five. And this isn't the path for me. I know there's something more out there. What would you tell them to do? Well, if they have
1: a business idea, then that's great. I would say just, you know, just go for it because you should always have a bias for action because the sooner you start, the sooner you learn and you're not going to get it right at the start. So just, you can plan, 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 but what you're going to learn and it's just going to exponentially grow when you actually start. But if you don't have a business idea, do not start and waste your money. I would say go and work for a startup. You can learn... So much. That's a hundred percent what I honestly probably should have done, but I didn't even really know about startups back then. (laughs)
0: Okay. I'm dying to know. Tell me what happens with your parents. So they think you're going to this job. How do you drop the truth to them? What does that look like? Where were you at in your career at this point when you tell them, Hey, I'm actually not an accountant anymore. I have my own business. This is what it looks like. So my
1: parents are actually quite gullible. I actually, so I stayed with them for six months and kept up this facade of putting on the suit every day. But then my boyfriend who we were in the long distance relationship with, um, because he, he's from Brisbane, moved to Sydney for work. And I like to think for me, but when he moved in, he <laughs> just like showed up with all of my stuff. We've been dating for maybe like seven months at this point, but most of it long distance. But I just showed up with all my stuff. We never had a, should we move in together talk? I just like showed up and just started living with him and didn't move out and didn't actually, it's, you know, didn't pay rent. Like it was a tiny, you know, one bedroom apartment, but I just, Use that, that actually helped me to not have to deal with my parents. And then I kind of just didn't like tell them much. I told them that I was... I think for the next six months, I told them I was still working. And then it got to a point where I actually needed to use the garage for my stock. So I told them that I was actually... I took unpaid leave from work because business was going well. And at this point, we kind of were doing a bit better. And then it wasn't until we had our own office and it had a lot of stock in there. So it was two years later that I told my parents. And I think I had such a big fear of failure and I didn't want them to be disappointed. And I, you know, obviously it sounds like I have some kind of complex about this, but I (laughs) literally looked at, I probably had half a million dollars of stock sitting there. And so I thought, you know, worst case scenario, if I fail now, I could take this stock, like fire sale it, and use that to invest into a new business or at least like keep me going for a while. But at this point I was that's when I felt safe to tell my parents. And when I told them, they couldn't believe it. They were like, Oh because they're not entrepreneurial like entrepreneurial. They worked in businesses. They worked my mom's worked at a bank. My dad's a computer engineer. And they were just like, How did you have the balls to do this? And I was, you know, I was being a little sucker, but it's true. I would say, I said that, you know, you guys dropped everything you knew. You took the biggest risk of all. When you moved to Australia, you didn't have, you left only your friends. You had to, you know, rest, they couldn't get the jobs that they had. They, you know, they had to work as cleaners and in factories and they didn't speak the English and they, you know, still don't really speak good English now. And like, you risk everything. So that's kind of like what it takes to be an entrepreneur, I think
0: hmm. <laughs> so one of the biggest questions that I feel like I get and one of the biggest roadblocks that people hit when they have this idea, this notion of starting their own business is they don't have money and you kind of said it earlier and I love what you said about like you have to have money to like fund the startup process like you have to keep investing and reinvesting but what did it look like for you when you don't have this salary anymore to invest in this business how did you make things work how did you make it happen
1: well you have to it's a lot of skimpy and hustling so I actually got lucky in terms of I think I think that your two main expenses with starting an online store is stock, your inventory and also marketing. So my first, and you know, what's I think is crazy is how much you, and you'll hear this, how my first business, even though at the time I thought it was the biggest mistake, the biggest failure of my life. And you know, when you're younger, you, you know, make everything's more dramatic, you know, but I couldn't even forgive myself at the time for making such a stupid mistake. But now with hindsight, I could see how one thing led to another. So with the first business when we stocked the products from emerging designers in our pop-up store, we did it on consignment terms, which is what my business partner kind of taught me about this at the time, which meant that we would take stock from these designers, and we would only have to pay them after it's sold, which means that we didn't have to outlay any money up front. And so, with Shopo, what happened was we, my new business partner, knew a supplier. And so, we approached the supplier with the concept of consignment, and which is very uncommon. Like wholesalers do not like consignment, but we got very lucky that she had that relationship. And they did say yes, which meant that we didn't have to. T- pay for any stock until it sold, which at this time, I had no real fashion experience. So I didn't know what stock to buy. So I was learning as I went, which and I didn't have the money to do that. So it kind of gave us this frisk-free way to test out the market and understand what our customer wanted. And so what this meant was it was a very manual and laborious exercise. It meant that every day I would have to go to the supplier's office and pick all the orders that needed to be fulfilled that day for the last 24 hours. So, but at this point, you know, time, I had a lot of money, I did it. So I had to do this. Mm-hmm. And then, so, you know, and of course, once we started to make some money, we would start buying stock outright because that's, you know, makes more sense as a business model, but you know, and then so your other big thing uh, expense is marketing. And so back when I was working in my corporate job, I would spend literally all my time on Facebook. Like I was a Facebook addict and I would, you know, that person that would alt tab to a fake spreadsheet when someone would walk by, but I was spending all my time um, on Facebook, which probably explained why I was so bad at my job. But anyway, it turned out to be blessing in disguise because when I wanted to start ShowPro, and, you know, I couldn't afford any of the traditional marketing channels like print advertising and definitely not PR, which is what, Drained us off money in the first business. I, you know, I, I could only turn to social media, but even then, like back then that was so, at least we were doing it. It wasn't a validated marketing channel to actually make sales, but we were doing it. And that's pretty much what drove sales for us. And again, you know, learned
0: that from the first business failing. That is like... Honestly, isn't it amazing that to look back at how resourceful you can be when you're starting out? Because I feel like a lot of times when you have a budget, when you have money, you aren't as scrappy or as resourceful as you were when you didn't. And I feel like a lot of times we have to remember to like go back to those days where we were just making things work with whatever we had. And I feel like sometimes you can lose that the bigger you get. You're like, oh, I can hire someone or I can do that. And that scrappiness is what got you to where you are. And even honestly, even now
1: we still have to remind ourselves to have that startup mentality because I look
0: around the office and
1: sometimes it's just like, you know, you can get, you can get lazy and carried away. But so I think it's just so important to have that rigor because the problem is, you know, you can't predict the economy. You can't predict what happens and you want to be able to stay nimble, you know, because at like I look at the last few years there's been times where you know you have a few bad months and then you realize how fixed your fixed costs are and yeah like that's you need to be stay nimble
0: So I want to know, when did you actually feel like an entrepreneur? Like, when could you tell people I'm an entrepreneur? Because I feel like that's a huge turning point going from like a more corporate job to saying, no, I own my own business or I'm an entrepreneur. What did that look like for you? Um, I feel like I think the moment that I knew that I
1: like kind of looked around me and thought, oh, my God, I've, I've made it. I've like achieved what I wanted was there was a point where I, I was making more money than what I would be if I was working. So that was good. Cause that meant that I didn't have to justify work, but then I also so the thing about accounting is this is postgraduate study, like your CA or your CPA, which at one point I realized, like, even if I, this is a bit lame, but like, even if I failed, I could get another job working for another online store for another retail business. Like I would not have to ever do that degree which was just like, I keep hearing that it's like five times worse than university. So I'm like, Oh my God, that was when I was like, I have actually successfully changed my own path, which like that's in itself. Just, I thought that was amazing. So that was when I, you know, gave myself
0: a pat on the shoulders. Real quick, before we talk more with Jane, I have to give Skillshare a little love. Skillshare is a longtime partner of the show and I've always loved everything they stand for. Skillshare is an online learning community for creators with more than 25,000 classes in design, business, and more. You'll discover countless ways to fuel your curiosity, creativity, and your career. Take classes in social media marketing, mobile photography, creative writing, or even illustration. Whether you're looking to discover a new passion, start a side or gain new professional skills, Skillshare is there to keep you learning, thriving, and reaching those goals. My team has been exploring new courses on Skillshare while I'm in Hawaii. Kylie is about to dive into a course on project management with Google Docs and another one in storytelling. Skillshare is also where I learned my hand lettering techniques on my iPad, which have been a game changer for creating my own custom graphics and fonts for my brand. Join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for free. Two months of unlimited access to over 25,000 classes for free. Sign up at skillshare.com slash golddigger2. Again, head to skillshare.com slash digger 2 to start your two months now. That's skillshare.com slash digger and the number two. Thank you to ShipStation for supporting the show today and for helping me get everything labeled and in the mail on time for my online store. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, or on your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one place. Then you can compare shipping options between the major carriers, USPS, UPS, FedEx, Amazon fulfillment. They are all on ShipStation, so you can choose whatever makes the most sense for you, your product and your customer. ShipStation is super efficient, but they also offer big discounts on shipping. So now you don't have to be a massive company shipping truckloads of product every day. You can get those same discounts with ShipStation so you know that you're always getting the best deal. Don't let the shipping time or cost be the roadblock that keeps your customers from hitting that submit order button. Try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use promo code gold digger. You don't have to hand over your credit card in Info, you can just start your free trial right now. Just visit shipstation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Gold Digger. That's shipstation.com, then enter the promo code Gold Digger. Shipstation, make ship happen walk me through like what showpo is today like what does it look like how is it different from when you were out there like picking the orders on consignment because I know it's transformed yeah. in um, crazy ways well we are a huge business now well I like to meet competitive
1: and we have like over 150 staff members so that's probably the biggest change like how many lives that we are. Impacting, you know, I think when we first had some like adults working with us, like actual adults, I was like, wow, oh, we're impacting not just them, but their family. <laughs> that was kind of surreal. But now it's, we're at a stage where we're growing up and saying that, you know, we're about to turn nine, that post growing up and like we've hit puberty early because we're dealing with all these like growing pains at the moment, to be honest. Because I think when you're a company at this level, you need to set everything up at a level much bigger than what we are now. We need to hire people that is of the caliber that's much bigger than where we are so that they can take us there. And we need to buy all the same expensive software that all the bigger companies and us have, but we don't have the sales for that yet. And we also have a lot of the legacy systems from when we were much smaller. And I think we've just grown. So three years ago, we had... Probably like 15 staff members. So that growth, like we, we still have a lot of the older, and you know, I honestly always have thought that we had great systems and processes. Like one of our favorite sayings at of the office is rules control the fun. And that's from friends. And said it. And, but mm-hmm. honestly, we still mm-hmm. lack a lot of like systems and rigor. And I think that's what we need to focus on, which isn't that fun. Like we need to now have. More, I guess, almost bureaucracy before things can happen. But I think it's just a necessary evil of being at this size. So I think the big focus now for me is to try and keep that start that mentality to keep ourselves agile, but also put in that level of rigor that we need for a company of this size. Yeah, I think the thing about is you, you constantly you're juggling different things. So one, you know, juggling like being agile versus putting in rigor and the other thing to juggle is you want to protect what you have because you're dealing with more money, more people's lives. If you screw up, it's, it has a bigger impact, but
0: then you still want to keep innovating. And so, yeah, so I think it's just juggling I think one of the hardest things about scaling a business is you start with like the vision and the passion, and then pretty soon you realize you're just a people manager. And so it's so easy to get into this phase where all of a sudden you're supposed to be the visionary, but your days are tied up with meetings and and managing requests and putting out fires and you're this people manager how are you still like infusing your vision? Like, how are you making sure that you are the one steering the ship of SHOPO? I think some of the, like the structure we have
1: in place kind of allows that. So we have like an executive team who are the head of departments, but then they, you know, we have quarterly strategy meetings and we have twice a week Projects meetings that we call our buffer meetings. And that's where we kind of discuss projects. We ask our team to put together a business case where they had to justify their project. And, you know, if they have a genuinely good idea, like we, you know, I am on board. You know, I think we're very lucky in that we've always been so transparent with who we are, what our business is like, whether it's like, you know, on social media, to the people in our team and our candidates that when people come, they're not surprised by anything and... We get people who are very aligned in the first place as well. Like we want people to be different and have different opinions. And one of my favorite books is Good from Great, and they say that the best managers, the best people leaders, are the ones that will argue with you. They will let you win an argument because you know you will pull rank. They will argue like passionately with you because they're the people that really care. So I don't know. It's like a collaborative process.
0: I love that. So, I want to know, like, what was the biggest mistake that you made? If you could share with our listeners the biggest mistake you made, so that they never make that mistake, what would that be? Well, I think one
1: in particular that probably would be most useful for for the listeners is to not watch your competitors too much. So, we've had really great growth from the start, except for this one year. Like we we moved to the Rack Trader district of Sydney. We moved our office there and I thought it would be fantastic to do that because it meant that we were close to our suppliers and that meant that we could, you know, we could have first dibs of all the stock because we could, you know, run down quickly. We could build both relationships with our suppliers and it'd be really, we'd save on postage for samples and, you know, yada, yada, yada. But then what this meant was because I was still doing some of the buying myself and I was on the street, I was constantly seeing our competitors who like, you know, I actually have a a great relationship with most of them, but it meant that we were constantly seeing our competitors and it made me really competitive because it made these competitors constantly front of mind. And so I was, I subscribed to everyone's newsletters. I was following everyone on social and I ended up, you know, if I see someone else doing something cool, I would tell our team, Oh my God, let's do this. Let's do that, which, Man, that every second day they were getting a different order from me or a different idea. And so we kind of, we lost our way, we lost our direction and we weren't being showpo, We were being like a mix of what we thought was best practice of what everyone else was, but it kind of, we lost our brand identity. And not only was it confusing for our customers because honestly, it's a very crowded space on like fast fashion online space. And so if you don't have, and at this point we were still not designing our own products. Like we designed 80% of our products now. So that in itself is unique, but at the time we weren't doing that. And so without our identity, we really weren't anything. And so we lost that. So it was confusing for our customers, but it was also really confusing for our team and uninspiring to have like, to have a leader that was just copying other people. And so a year that we didn't grow at all and we also just broke even. So that was a big lesson to learn to like, you know, you want to always stay in tune with what the industry is doing because you would be, you wouldn't want to turn a blind eye to that, but you really need to focus on your own goals and your own vision because, and really understand that anything that you do that takes you away from that actually comes at an opportunity cost because if you're doing someone else's if you're doing something to copy someone else, then you're not doing your own project, which the price.
0: That's such good advice. I feel like so many people, like the bigger they grow, they start paying attention and trying to level up or seeing what's working for someone else and then trying to emulate that. And I feel like it's so easy to get lost in that shuffle of like more and more and more and scaling and getting bigger. And oh, I think that's such good advice. So I want to know, like, if you were to start all over again, what would you do differently? Let's say you're back. You just got let go from your job. You have zero dollars, one failed business under your belt. Would you do anything different?
1: I think what I would do better is to hire the right people because now like having that experience and honestly, I think a few key people have really been the key drivers of our growth. And that's been just phenomenal. So I think being able to, you know, find those people really help. But I think I honestly don't know if I would, because I used to always say that I would back myself more and take more risks, but maybe it's good the way that I've approached this because we've never taken on the investors. So the whole business has been bootstrapped. So if I was to be more gung-ho about it and have taken more risks, maybe I would have like screwed things up and have like of money. So who knows? I, I kind of think like, well, I don't know. You know, that question is like, oh, what would you tell your 15 year old self to be different? Differently? I would say have more confidence and blah, blah, blah. But I think like, you know, maybe, maybe having that a, a level of like self-doubt is good because that's what keeps you self-aware as well. I don't know.
0: Maybe like, I don't know. It's so I'm not saying it, it all worked out. So it's like, would you really yeah you no, know? thank God it always works out, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So
1: crazy. exactly.
0: I love it. So I'm dying to know, what do your parents think of Jane today? Like now that they've seen this crazy transformation, this crazy growth, the awards, the accolades, the numbers, what do your parents think today?
1: Oh, I mean, they're happy, but all they want is a kid right now. Like
0: <laughs> They just on. want me to have babies.
1: So, Yeah, we just launched, I mean, they, you know, we used to go, my boyfriend and I used to go to, my parents for dinner every week and every week they would my mom would just ask him like why won't you marry my daughter I'm like oh my god stop like she starts being very subtle <laughs> and then at dinner she's like just ask I'm like oh my god mom like we're like we've been together for 10 years like we're not like it's gonna happen <laughs> it's fine So she's and then as soon as he asks she just all she wants is now she's hassling us about babies and then I'm sure when I have a kid she's going to Put the pressure on that kid. It's just, it's not, it's never going to end. And I think I just need to come to terms with that. We just launched our own bridal range, like of wedding dresses. And so I actually, we had some real brides in that because like our models are getting married and also some of our other team members. And so I actually was in the shoot you know, model two of the dresses, and my boyfriend, well, fiance, he was like an extra as my groom, and so we took photos and sent it to her and told her that she alone. Oh my gosh! And she was like, "Oh, I'm very sad." She was like, "Very sad that she missed the wedding," and then she's like, "Okay, but you're ready to have kids now."
0: <laughs> God. Do you have any fears around becoming a mom as a CEO? Because I think that's like a really I mean, I think that's a really valid thing as a strong female entrepreneur. It's like, what is motherhood gonna do to me to my drive to my business? Do you have any fears around that?
1: Yeah I definitely do I hundred percent do, but there's I feel like there's some really great role models out there, which I mean I think that is just like fantastic for that so I'm going to you know I think one when, when the time comes, like read more and listen to more podcasts with of women who have done it and then also. To some of the people in Australia who like some other successful businesswomen who have families and see how they've done it, awesome! And just both
0: from them, That's yeah. So cool. Okay, my last question for you is this: If someone is listening today and they're either in a job that they hate, like your accounting job, or they're between jobs and they're not sure what's next, what would you encourage them to do?
1: I would. I would say if you can go and work for a startup that you're excited definitely like so go and work as an accountant for a startup and you know what take that salary cut if that's what it means because you can't go to an entrepreneurial school which actually isn't like a bad idea but you're like you can learn so much more on the job like when my business failed that was six months of my life and i lost ten thousand dollars but that is like so cheap and and as a crash course in business, I learned so much from that. And so a way to still make money and do that is to work for a startup and just work. It, try and take on more responsibility because at a startup, there is always the opportunity. Don't go and, and when you do, don't go and be complacent. Like there is always the opportunity to take more on and think of it as personal development. Yes.
0: And I think too, there's just so much opportunity to learn while you're doing. And I think that that is so invaluable.
1: Yeah. And don't tell people like, oh, I want to get a job for you because I want to start my own business. (laughs)
0: That's not going to work. Very true. Very true. Where can everybody connect with you, find you, check out Shopo, like give us all the places. Oh, great. Okay. Yay. Time to plug. Okay. So Shopo is Shopo.com and we have
1: the best fashion over 120 new arrivals a week. Okay. I won't do that. Um, So Instagram (laughs) is Shopo, but then if you want to find me, I am the lazy CEO on Instagram and I have my own YouTube blog as well. So
0: just with Fun behind the scenes stuff. You are the best. Thank you so much for showing up today and sharing your story. I am so excited to share it with our audience. Thank you so much for having me, Jenna. It's been great chatting to you. I'm still caught on the fact that Jane's parents didn't even know she wasn't an accountant for years. I mean, I know that when I took the leap from my corporate nine to five and started my own business, my parents had their doubts, but they at least knew what was going on. I kind of love that she coveted her decision to become an entrepreneur so much, and she didn't want to disappoint anyone. How many of us feel like pursuing our dreams is going to disappoint someone else? And how often do we forget after we've seen success that we once had to bootstrap, we had to be scrappy in order to grow? Today's episode was such a good reminder of all the different seasons of entrepreneurship from the beginning stages to the successful stage and all of the different challenges that they bring. I hope today's episode leaves you feeling inspired and excited, and I just wanna say thanks. Thanks for tuning in and making this show a possibility. Until next time, gold diggers, keep on digging your biggest goals, and thanks for hitting play today. Thanks for listening to the Gold Digger Podcast.